Amen. God bless you. You may be seated uh, tonight in the name of the Lord. We're honored to have each of you uh, with us tonight. We're uh, grateful to be able to come into the house of the Lord in the middle of the week and lift his holy name. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to look at a uh, few verses of scripture to begin here. We're teaching tonight on the second study of a series entitled The Nature of God. The Nature of God. And we began this series last week where we talked about the fact that our God is one. God is one. He is one Lord. And uh, this is the fundamental, foundational understanding about God, that he is one Lord. This is what separates him from the gods of the heathens. The gods of the heathens uh, have, have uh, been uh, multiplied in their thinking into a pantheon of gods. And so uh, they worship either multiple gods or they worship themselves or or they even take the one God of Israel and try to divide him up and, and uh, worship him in a variety of persons or beings. But the fact of the matter is he needs no other. He alone is worthy and he is self-sufficient. His very name means self-sufficiency. That when we say Lord, that is the word for Jehovah. Yahweh, and it simply means the self-existent one, it means nobody created him, and nobody gets to terminate him, uh, nobody, nobody uh, began God, uh, God is God, and that is simply the truth, he is God, he is God before all things, he is God above all things, and so uh, he is one. Tonight we're talking about the fact that God is great. God is great. God is one and God is great. I was uh, praying and asking the Lord uh, just what we should concentrate on. There, there are so many things in our world that are uh, topsy-turvy, and uh, if, if you please, and there's Everything from natural disasters, as we've seen played out, to political unrest, to international uh, disagreements, and, and so many things can go wrong. But as I considered these matters, I just felt the urging of the Lord to concentrate on Him, to get our eyes off of everything that is taking place in our world that is of a, of a very troubling nature and concentrate on the Lord God. Here's the fact of the matter. He is the Lord and he changes not. He is the Lord and he changes not. And so we're going to we're going to talk tonight about the nature of God, the greatness of our God. Uh, I want to turn your attention as we begin to the book of Psalms and we're going to read uh, from the 8th Psalm. The word of the Lord says this, Psalm 8 and verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What a powerful word, excellent. Excelling. And, and, you know, we talk about 
the Most High God. That is His excellency. He excels above every other principality, every power. They are all beneath the Lord God. And so His name is excellent in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. His glory, ladies and gentlemen, you can't even see his glory by looking into the heavens. His glory is above the heavens. You and I can look out into the vast expanses of our firmament that we use to breathe air and whatnot, and we can see a demonstration of God's glory, and we can see his handiwork. How many have ever looked out uh, upon a... Uh, upon a winter landscape or upon a beautiful spring morning or upon autumn leaves changing. And, and you, regardless of what season the, the earth may be experiencing, you can take a moment, breathe in that air, exhale that air, and say glory to God. I see the glory of God. I, I see the handiwork of God. Uh, and yet it's, I, it, I don't, it's such a small fraction if you even can call it a fraction of, of the magnitude of his power, the magnitude of his glory, it, it is so far surpasses anything that, that we can understand or see with our uh, human eye. And so, so we can look into the sky and we can see his handiwork and his power, but it is a very meager representation of his great power. Verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I, and here's what I'm talking about, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, now, I think this is such an interesting verse of Scripture. This is David talking. And, and, and the first area in which we see the power of God, the greatness of God, is in the sense that God has all power. Okay, that's, how, that's the first area in which we see it. Particularly in the area of creation. No such thing as Mother Nature. No such thing as Mother Nature. God created the heavens and the earth. He did it in the beginning. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created all things that are in this earth. The scripture says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all things that dwell therein. And God did a masterful job creating this earth. And, and you notice, look at the difference between what God created and what man creates. What God created is renewable. What man creates ends up in a landfill. We, don't even, we didn't think it all the way through. We don't even know what to do with it. We just, every piece of automobile that you see driving around on the street, everybody drinking with their uh, bottle of water, unless they properly recycle those things, it's going to end up in a landfill. Because man didn't think it all the way through. But what God created, it's amazing the, the circuitous way in which his earth re, is renewed and, and revolves. It's just, it's magnificent. 
that one cannot take an honest look at this earth and not give glory to God. You, you, you have to be dishonest in order to not say that the Lord hath done this because of the fact that uh, because of the fact that it is absolutely it is it is absolutely brilliant and and far above the mind of man to be able to do anything of that nature only God could have done it and David was looking at the heavens not only looking at them he was considering them and he was considering the work of God's fingers and he was cons- he was considering the moon and the stars and and they noticed that he said the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained this this is an interesting word to use, ordained. It's, it's actually what we do when, when one is commissioned to preach the gospel. They're ordained to preach the gospel. That's what God did in creation. He ordained creation to preach his gospel. He ordained the moon and the stars to declare his glory. He ordained the heavens to declare his majesty. And while David is considering the heavens... Considering the work of God's finger, considering the moon and the stars that God had ordained, he comes to this question. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And I believe here is a, the next is a, the next statement is a question is a messianic foretelling when he said, and what is the son of man that thou visitest him? Because this is what the Lord did when he manifested himself into flesh. He visited the Son of Man. And so this question that David is asking, I believe, was was inspired of divine revelation concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. What is man? You are mindful of him. That's not just talking about the fact that that God uh, takes care of man in a natural sense, but the fact that God is concerned about mankind. And, and concerned about the spiritual well-being of mankind. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. It actually is very telling when you consider how David frames the question. Because of the fact that man is more than meets the eye. If you were to hear some people in today's society talk. They would tell you that man is nothing more than uh, an evolved species uh, and has no, has no uh, superiority to any other part of creation. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture says that God made man in his own image. Hallelujah. And gave him dominion over the earth. And this is what David was understanding when he said, What is man? that you are mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. He was scratching the surface of something. He was beginning to peer into the very special truth about who mankind is. Folks, we are the sons of Almighty God. That's who we are supposed to be. And when when you're born into this world, you're born into a cursed world. You're born into a fallen world. But thank God when you're born again, you are born into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. You enter into sonship. You enter into a joint heir status with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the scripture says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. 
and you have crowned him with glory and with honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. He is describing what I just shared, that he now understands that man is more special than what many give him credit for. Mankind, man and woman, they're more, they're more important. And, and the evidence of that is that God is mindful of him. And God visits him. This infinite God, the greatness of God, the power of God, the glory of God is something that would make one think that God is so far beyond reach that he would have nothing to do with us. And yet David is looking at the heavens. He's looking at the works of God's fingers. He's looking at the moon and the stars that the Lord has ordained. And it brings him to a soul-searching question. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you visit him? And he describes what God has done for man. You crowned him with glory and honor. Made him a little lower than the angels. Made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep, all oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field. The fowl of the air, the fish of the sea. Whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. In all the earth. He's a great God. He is, he is above and beyond all things. He is the one true living God. His name is excellent. It excels all other names. There is no name in human history that can match the excellency of God's name. Hallelujah. There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. His name is great. Hallelujah. Psalm 19 talks about uh, this as well. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth the Lord's handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. This is, this is interesting language because he said day unto day utter speech. He didn't just say day utter speech. He said the revolution of day to day utter speech. It is the emerging of a day and the closing of a day and the, and the burial of a day and the resurrection of another day and the life of that day and the death of that day and the burial of that day and the resurrection of the next day and the life of the next day and the death of the next day and the burial of the next day and on and on resurrection life death burial resurrection life death burial resurrection life death burial the speech that is being uttered by day unto day is the gospel of Jesus Christ that's the greatness of your God God put it into the earth that when we were unable to hear his voice that we would be able to see his handiwork in the day-to-day -day revolution of, of, uh, of how the sun would rise and set. And it exemplifies the majesty of the Lord's gospel. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth. 
and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. Now, you have to hear what he's saying there. He said the son is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Now we look at that and we think, oh, so he's giving us an analogy to understand the son. How the son, when the son emerges onto the scene and breaks the darkness, it's kind of like a bridegroom coming forth out of his chamber. We actually have it reversed. He's not trying to give us an analogy about the son. He's trying to give us an analogy about the bridegroom. The son is telling us about the bridegroom who's coming. Hallelujah. Just when the darkness reaches its most desperate point, the sun emerges as a testimony to us that this is exactly how the bridegroom will come. Glory to God. When things look so hopeless, look so out of control, look so out of order, then this darkness comes upon the earth. But don't fear. Don't despair. Don't feel as though all hope is gone because the bridegroom is coming. And the sun rising in the morning is a daily testimony to us that the bridegroom is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is the greatness of God. He thought all of this through and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven. His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now notice what it says about, about the commands of the Lord and the law of the Lord and the testimony and the statutes of the Lord. The scripture says the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, now folks, that's saying a lot. The law of man is not perfect. The law of man is so convoluted, it is so corrupted. And we, every election cycle we have, we hear more and more about the corruption that's involved with what crafted the law of man and, and, and who got their way and what special interests were involved and, and who paid who to make which law and so on and so forth. That's how the law of man works. But the law of the Lord is perfect. Nobody can bribe him. Nobody can pay him off. He's incorruptible. Hallelujah. His law is perfect. You look at his law. You know, just imagine what kind of world we would live in if God's law was kept as he issued it to Moses on Mount Sinai. Just imagine the kind of world we would live in if nobody had any other God before them except the Lord God of Israel. And we didn't make unto ourselves any graven image. And we didn't, and, and we remembered the Sabbath to keep it holy. And we didn't kill. And we didn't steal. And we didn't commit adultery. And we didn't bear false witness against our neighbor. Hallelujah. And we didn't covet what our neighbor had. Imagine, and if we honored our parents for crying out loud. Imagine what kind of world we would live in. It would be a heaven, ladies and gentlemen. You would love one another. You wouldn't have animosity against somebody down the street or, God forbid, across the aisle. You hear what I'm telling you? If we would listen to what the Lord says. But the problem is that the law, though perfect, is weak through our flesh. But the law of the Lord is perfect. Glory to God. 
And I'm going to tell you what the Holy Ghost will do. The Holy Ghost will inscribe that law on your inward parts. Hallelujah. God will put that law on the inside of you to where it will, it will lead you. It will guide you. That law will influence you. That law will convict you when you need convicted and correct you when you need corrected and inspire you when you need to be inspired. That's what the law of the Lord will do. It is a perfect law. And the Bible goes further in the book of James and says it is the perfect law of liberty. Hallelujah. You know, it's a law not only, not only in the sense. Listen, let me make, make this clear. God's law is not only a law in the sense that God says do this and don't do that. It's not just a rule. It is a law in the sense that it is, it is the truth of the universe. Like a scientific law. You know, a scientific law, it's hard to develop a scientific law. It starts out as a hypothesis. Anything can be a hypothesis. Anybody can, can throw some hypothesis out there. But then they have to subject that hypothesis to testing. And they have to, they have to test it so, so uh, severely and with such, with such meticulous observation that, that it, has to, it has to undergo extreme uh, measures in order to move to the next phase, which is theory. And, and then once it becomes a theory, it's subjected to even more tests. And, and it has to be flawless every time the test is, is had in order for it to become a law. This, ladies and gentlemen, is why evolution can't get past being a theory. Because it is not flawless. It is very flawed. It is corrupted by the philosophy of man. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. And they can theorize all they want, but it is, it is not truth. It is false teaching. It is false doctrine. And it will only remain as a theory forever. It should, it's already been debunked. It should be cast aside. But because of the spirit of Antichrist, they're teaching it anywhere. People will listen. But, but it will never become a law because it, it can't become a law. The second law of thermodynamics, again, the second law of thermodynamics disproves the theory of evolution. Because the second law of thermodynamics deals with the fact that things dilapidate over time. They dilapidate over time. They age. That's how it works. And so evolution remains a theory while the second law of thermodynamics is enshrined, if you please, in this position of being a law. This is the way the law of God works. It is flawless. It works every time it is applied the way it is supposed to be applied. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll try him, you'll find that he's true and faithful. If you'll put your hope in him, you'll not be ashamed that you did it. If you'll trust, oh hallelujah, in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, he shall direct your path. Now, now, we just quote that and move on. But I want to tell you, God gives us a three-step process for having our paths directed by God. You want your paths directed by God? Here's the three-step process. Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Two, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Lean not to your own understanding. Three, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And here's the promise associated with that one, two, three 
process. He shall direct your path. Hallelujah. It's flawless. It's flawless. You know when I have trouble letting the Lord direct my paths? When I trust Him with half my heart. You know when I have trouble letting the Lord direct my paths? When I start leaning on my own understanding. You know when I have trouble letting the Lord direct my paths? Is when I, I don't acknowledge Him in all of my ways. Some of my ways, yes. But other ways, I kind of I don't really pay much attention to whether God's involved in it or not. But if I will trust in Him with all my heart, lean not to my own understanding, and in all my ways acknowledge Him, He shall, it's a promise, He shall direct my paths. So the law of the Lord is perfect. Notice what it does when applied correctly. Converting the soul. You know what the law of man does? The law of man temporarily adjusts human nature. Actually, let's say, let's say it better. The law of man temporarily influences human public behavior. That's what the law of man is capable of doing. But the law of the Lord is perfect. And it won't just adjust your public human behavior, but it'll get down deep on the inside of who you are and convert your soul to the ways of God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Hallelujah. That's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. That's, a, that's amazing. That, that this. Let me tell you, we're going to get into this in a moment. But one of the things that's so amazing about how great God is, is this. He's so great, he answers to no one except his own word. He, he can swear by no greater, so he swears by himself. It's impossible for God to lie because God makes it impossible for himself to lie. And chooses, chooses in his omnipotence, chooses in his infinite power to show me love and to show me mercy and to be patient with me. I, I, I'm sorry. Or no, I'm, I'm not sorry. I, I just can't, I can't stop praising his name. He is so great and so capable of doing whatever he wills, whatever he chooses, and he chooses to have mercy. And he chooses to show compassion. So when the Bible says the commandment of the Lord is pure, that is saying a lot. Because, because if, if, you know, if, there's an old song that my grandparents used to sing, and I love it, and it says, I'm glad Man didn't make sunshine, for he might not let it shine on me. I'm glad man didn't make uh, rainfall, for he might forget to water the grain. I'm glad man didn't make teardrops, because he would find joy in the tears that I shed. I'm glad man didn't make me. And the song says, I'm glad, glad, I'm so glad that God made me. It's an old song. Now listen, the, the beauty of that is this. If you and I were God, we'd have messed this thing up already. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm telling you, the first person that cursed me the way some folks curse God? 
Oh, my way. And I had all that power. I had lightning bolts in my fist. I had, I had hailstones in my fist. And some people talked to me the way they talked to God. Some people ignore me the way they ignore God. Some people ignore me the way I've ignored God. And I got all this power. And I can do with it what I want. And who's going to call me in on the carpet? So the fact that God loves us. Let me tell you the greatest thing about God is that he's good. My goodness. Don't get so, don't get, don't only understand that he's great. That you forget that he's good. Hallelujah. And so to say that the commandment of the Lord is pure. That's saying so much. Because I got to be honest with you. The way we act sometimes with the little bit of power we've got, we, we, there's no telling what commandments we would issue just to show we can. Bless God. And, and we got all this authority complex and all, this, all these power trips that we go on. And, and, and God has never been on a power trip. He doesn't have any authority complex. He's God. He doesn't have to make any excuse for being God. He doesn't have to prove that he's God. He just simply is God. And he has put up with more stuff than what you and I could ever understand. And the commandments that he issues, they're not random and they're not arbitrary. They are pure and they have this purpose, enlightening the eyes. Every commandment that he issues enlightens our eyes there's not one commandment he's ever issued that was arbitrary or random or didn't have purpose all of it was to lead us into greater truth to enlighten our eyes because we were blind and dead in our trespasses and sins so the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever now I just got to tell you folks that the fear of the Lord is, is, is probably the most um, misunderstood thing in the scriptures. I probably would say it's, it's not just misunderstood, but it's, it's too neglected. We neglect it. We neglect talking about it. I did a study one time, uh, or not one, I taught it several times, but I, but I put it together, and, and it was everything the Bible says about the fear of the Lord, folks. Why we wouldn't want the fear of the Lord is beyond me. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the fountain of life. It's clean. It's pure. The fear of the Lord is where we receive our blessing. It's where we receive health in our body. The fear of the Lord. And, and if we knew how great he is, we would fear him. If we knew how great he is. So the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know how that is? Many people's walk with God started with a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. There are many people. We can go down the list. Some of us sitting right here, we can tell. I, I'll tell you for myself. I got the Holy Ghost on a night when the man preached, what's going to happen to the kids after the rapture? And he had a slideshow, and on the slideshow, I remember seeing a, a Russian soldier with a helmet on, and it was a skeleton face. And I thought, that's it, I'm getting the Holy Ghost. 
I don't even know what, I, don't, I was six years old. I don't remember point A, B, and C, but I got a good dose of the fear of the Lord. And that started a lot of good things for me. But many people, when their life is hanging in the balance, or when circumstances are so out of control, they don't know what to do, and they say to the Lord, Lord, if you will help me through this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I remember a man in our church in Kokomo who never served the Lord. His wife did. He was an unsaved uh, spouse. And, uh, and he was a good guy. Everybody loved him. He came to church functions. And, and, uh, but he just never wanted to serve the Lord. It just wasn't, just wasn't something he wanted to commit to. And, and so she prayed. We all prayed and believed God. But, you know, decades pass and you start kind of wondering if it will ever happen, you know. But keep on praying. The scripture says you just keep on praying and, and God will work a miracle. Hallelujah. And I'll never forget the night that he came in and, uh, and asked if he could say something. And, and he addressed those of us that were there. And he said, he said, I want to tell you that I'm facing open heart surgery. And he said, I, they're not giving me too great a chance to survive. He said, I want to repent before God and before all of you for all of my sins and I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus and he said and I want to commit to you I want to be accountable to you that I if I can survive this surgery will serve God for the rest of my days that was 20 years ago that was 20 years ago I was just in Kokomo a few weeks ago and there he was welcoming folks into the house of the Lord still saved still serving God (laughs) hallelujah because I'm telling you what God God, if it's your soul that hangs in the balance, you can call him mean if you want to, and you can say, why would God allow this and why would God allow that if you want to? That's your business. But I'm going to tell you that God knows something about eternity that you and I don't know. And when it's your soul that hangs in the balance, God will do everything to save your soul. God will do everything to save your soul. And so when God, God will allow certain things to develop in a person's life to where they feel the heat and they feel the flame and they feel the seriousness of eternity and they feel the coldness of death as it brushes by them. He will give them chances and in that moment they will learn like no other way that God is great and God has power and he alone can lift me from this condition God will do that God will allow that to happen because your soul is more important than what you think it is and God knows how important it is so we see in the scriptures that God hallelujah is great Psalm 136 one of my favorite Psalms I read it not long ago I want to read it again in your hearing tonight because it deals with the greatness of God in terms of creation Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, verse 1, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. Oh, hallelujah. And I want to come back to that wisdom For his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. For his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights. For his mercy endureth forever. To to, to the sun to rule by day. For his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy endureth forever. Now this is God's power demonstrated in creation. It is vital 
that we magnify God as the creator of this earth, as the creator of heavens and the earth. I heard not long ago a, a song that was, uh, that was a part of a Disney uh, presentation, and it was supposed to be playful, it was supposed to be kid-oriented, but as they were singing this song, supposed to be fantasy, supposed to be, supposed to be uh, you know, just cute and innocent, but as I was listening to the words, I heard magnification to a heathen God concerning the creation of the earth. I mean, and it was all playful and it had a bounce to it and, and you weren't careful, you feel your toe tapping and humming and, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, what am I listening to? I'm listening to the world that God created, the Lord God of Israel, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tzitkanu, our God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the creator of this earth. And here a whole society is singing playfully to a heathen God that is supposed to have created all things. And I thought, my God in heaven, it's, it's absolute idolatry. It's absolute idolatry. And so we must worship him as the creator of the earth. Notice what they did in Psalm 136. The whole first nine verses are exalting him who alone doeth great wonders. Who by wisdom created the heavens. Hallelujah. And then verse 10, the psalmist begins to praise him for a different reason. Now he's moved from praising him as creator and he's praising him as deliverer and savior. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. Brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand, with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. Made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. I love how the psalmist will not stop saying, for his mercy endureth forever for his mercy endureth forever you know what I love about it because in the first half of each verse he's talking about the greatness of God but in the second half of the verse he's talking about the mercy of God that's a beautiful truth about our God not only does he have all power but his mercy endures forever and he goes on he goes on he said, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you because it's the word of the Lord. To him which led his people through the wilderness, to him which smote great kings for his mercy endureth forever. Now you got to understand what, that's, what they're saying. These great kings wielded absolute authority in the earth. There was total bondage. It was complete tyranny. There was no questioning of their power. They, they, they believed they were God. And so the Lord smote those kings, great kings. In verse 18, he slew famous kings for his mercy endureth forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, 
for his mercy endureth forever. Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. Gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel, his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And hath redeemed us. Now he's talking about the Redeemer. Hath redeemed us from our enemies. For his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh. For his mercy endureth forever. Oh give thanks unto the God of heavens. For his mercy endureth forever. Now he went through this whole list. You got to remember what he was telling us to do. From the very beginning he was saying. Oh give thanks unto the Lord. And then he listed a bunch of reasons. And he could have kept going, but he had more psalms to write. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? When, you, when you're having trouble getting through your day or get, keeping your mind positive and keeping yourself from a negative frame of mind, you just open up Psalm 136 and you remind, be reminded of when the Lord led you through the wilderness and when the Lord took control of the enemies that were controlling you. You hear what I'm telling you? Those here, they're great kings, but in, in our day, many times, it's, it's principalities and powers that control our mind and control our appetite and control our way of thinking and, and have influence on our family but the Lord will step into those circumstances and hear our prayer and hear our cry and have mercy hallelujah oh hallelujah he is great he is great and greatly to be praised hallelujah notice what Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 states and this deals with what we talked about last week the oneness of God Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 who being, verse number one, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, singular, and upholding all things by the word of his power that's how all things are upheld by the word of his power that's why we are not falling off into an abyss off of this globe called earth because of the word of his power I want you I hope we can understand we are simply here by the grace of almighty God my lungs function because of the grace of Almighty God. I wasn't awake. I wasn't awake. I didn't remember. I didn't remind my lungs to keep breathing. I didn't, I didn't, you know, give my heart a, hey, wake up. Keep on beating. I got to take a nap. Didn't happen like that. My God, who is rich in mercy. And I don't have to have a sun God and a moon God and a water God and a grass God and a tree God. He doesn't have to delegate any of that. Do you know the only reason he calls us into his service is for our benefit? It's not because he has need of anything. The scripture teaches us he is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He's worshipped with men's hands for man's sake. 
Because there's, there is a power that comes into your life when you connect through your, to your creator through worship. He is great and he's self-sufficient. He is without need of anyone else. Hallelujah. Notice what the scripture says in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 3. One of the great verses of scripture that teaches us about the Lord. And we notice that God is great in creation. But God is great not only in creation, but even as the psalmist shifted into not just speaking of creation, but speaking in terms of how God delivers his people. And how God heals his people. And how God saves and redeems people who call upon his name. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God will literally put his power inside of you, inside of your circumstances and do things that you couldn't do for yourself. God is able. He's exceeding abundantly able to do above all that we ask or think according to the power, hallelujah, that worketh in us. So God has all power and God is great because God has all power. I want you to know not only does he have all power in creation and in the ability to save and deliver and redeem, but, but, but notice what he did with this fallen earth. Notice what he did when man rebelled and became disobedient, when man turned his back on God. The Lord himself came down into human flesh and took upon himself not only the form of man, but he took upon himself the responsibility of man because only man could reverse the curse. Because man was responsible for it entering the world. Now man is the only one who can reverse it. And there was none who could do it. God himself stepped down into this earth and did that. He has the power. He has the power to save and to deliver. Not only is God great because he has power. But God is great because he has wisdom. Notice what Psalm 136 declared. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. So we think of God making the heavens and in, 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 in we think of his great power with which he made the heavens. But he didn't just use power. He used wisdom. There is no greater wisdom than the wisdom of Almighty God. Now I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand the mysteries of God's wisdom. That's why it's God's wisdom and not my wisdom. But I know, that, I know that the wisdom of God is, is so deep and so rich. And it is, it is inexhaustible. In fact, the scripture described it as there being seven pillars of wisdom. And the Bible described this, the seven spirits of the Lord that were resting upon he that would come, Jesus Christ. And in those spirits were the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and, and on and on. And those spirits rested 
upon Jesus Christ. Of course, there's only one spirit, but those are the manifestations of how God would operate in Jesus Christ. And so we look at this wisdom. As a matter of fact, it's such a profound concept, the wisdom of God, that the Bible even says that Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. Christ is the wisdom of God. When you look at Jesus the Christ, you are looking at the brilliance of God. The wisdom of God on full display. And and as a matter of fact, it was such deep and holy wisdom that he outsmarted the devil in doing it. The devil was confounded by the whole introduction of God into human flesh. It made no sense to him whatsoever. And he was continually trying to find out exactly who Jesus is. This is why he wanted to kill him as a baby. Because he realized, oh, God's doing something. His wisdom is at work. And he's up to something. And so he wanted to kill him as a baby. And he moved upon Herod and possessed him to try to kill Jesus. And let me tell you something. When you're surrendered to the will of God, there is no murderous spirit that can kill you before it's time for you to go. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, and so the wisdom of God was at work. The devil didn't know what was going on. He didn't know how to stop it. In fact, he even, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And the devil is in the wilderness ready to tempt him. And his question was, if you be the Son of God. Because he still wasn't sure of what he was dealing with and what he was looking at. And so he was, he was trying to, to understand exactly who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. And so it shows you the ignorance of the enemy when he was happy for Jesus to be crucified. And the Apostle Paul later explained to us that had the princes of the world known that it was the Lord of glory, they never would have crucified him. They never would have shed that precious blood because shedding that precious blood undid their principality. It undid the control they had on this earth. It undid their deception over the minds of mankind. See, we give the devil all this credit. We got him so smart and outsmarting everybody and everything. And he's always sneaking in. And, and, and we think we're so scared to death of him. We don't need to be fearful of the enemy. Hallelujah. We don't need to be fearful of the adversary. We are tuned in to the, to the deepest, most beautiful, most prolific wisdom the world has ever known. A wisdom that can save man from his own self-destruction. A wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, the wisdom of God allowed God to be manifest in human flesh pay the penalty that man was responsible to pay and before it happened revealed it to his holy prophets and all who believed on it are retroactively covered by his blood that's wisdom and everybody coming up after it who puts their faith in it are covered by his blood that's wisdom. Why, oh, God have mercy. He knows. The Bible says the Lord God knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Amen. And 
and with every temptation hath made a way, hallelujah, of escape. There's not one temptation you will ever face that in it there isn't a way of escape. Every temptation you will face has some way of escape in it. You need to look for it. Don't just go, don't just go, you know, wobbling in there like a bobblehead doll and just not knowing what you're doing or where you're going. You need to understand, I need to get a hold of God right now. Because there's a door here I can get out of this. There's a window here that, that I don't have to die in this dilemma. I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to, to die in these circumstances. God knows how to deliver me. Hallelujah. The three Hebrew children are told to bow at the sound of the music. And they said, we will not bow. And the king said, you will. They said, we won't. He said, if you don't, I'll throw you in the fiery furnace and I'll heat it seven times hotter than it was before. And this is what they said. They said, our God can deliver us. That's the power of God. Then they said, if he doesn't deliver us, if he chooses not to deliver us, we're still not going to bow. That's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of God. That's you coming to terms with the fact that God has all power and he has all wisdom. And he knows what's best for us. He's great. He's great. One of the reasons he's so great is because he's good. He's great because he's good. Anybody else with his greatness without his goodness would be a monster but he's great because he's good he, he, his power is great but if he just had great power he would, be, he would be a difficult force to reckon with but he doesn't just have great power he has great power and he has great wisdom if he, if he only had great power and great wisdom that would be one thing that would, be, that, would, that, would, that would be in itself something difficult to deal with. But he doesn't just have great power and great wisdom. He has great love. He's so perfect. He is the, he is, power is perfect. His wisdom is perfect. His love is perfect. It makes him such a great God. There's no heathen God out there. They've made them up. They've created them. They've, they've written books about them. They, they've built idols and given them names. They've described their characteristic. They've described their nature. And none of them have the love of God. Or concern for the well-being of mankind. None of them. This is another separating factor of God from all the gods of the people. The scripture says, I love this scripture, First Chronicles. It says, all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. I love that. I just love that. It just puts it all in perspective. All the gods of the people are idols. You name them. Dagon, Ashtoreth, Baal. 
Baal Peor, Baal Zebub, all the gods of the people, they're idols. They're idols, they're idols. They have eyes, but they can't see, ears that they can't hear, hands, but they don't, they don't heal or work on anyone's behalf. But Jehovah made the heavens and he made the earth and he didn't just do it by power, he did it by wisdom. And he did it by love. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. When you pray to God, you're praying to a God who's all-powerful, omnipotent, all-wise, omniscient, all-loving, omnibenevolent, and in all places, omnipresent. That's who you're praying to when you pray to God. And you can call him by his name, Jesus. And you can call him by his glorious his glorious office that he holds in our life. Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I know him. Bless his name. And finally, the Lord is great. And the scripture says, great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. You want to know how you should praise God? You should praise God according to his greatness. Psalm 150 said, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his excellent greatness. That's why we praise the Lord. For his mighty acts. For his excellent greatness. He is greatly to be praised. He's more worthy than just a little Hand clap every now and then. He's more worthy than just uh, a devotion when you feel like it. He's more worthy than just a flippant hallelujah when you, when, when you think of it. No, no. It needs to consume us. It needs to be before us every day. It needs to be in our minds, the forefront of our minds. We need to come into his presence with singing on our lips. Don't come in waiting to get pumped up. No, no. Bring a praise with you when you come into the house of the Lord. Bring a praise with you. Yes, we clap our hands unto the Lord. I don't, know, I don't know exactly what that does, but I do know that when somebody does something good, that's our instinct. We clap for them. If they say something we agree with, we clap. If they do something we like, be it something sports or of some kind of, a, of an ovation that they are receiving, we clap our hands. And my Bible tells me, says nothing about clapping hands for a man or a woman, but it does specifically say... To clap your hands, all you people, unto the Lord. And shout unto him with the voice of triumph. That's what my Bible tells me. The scripture tells us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Now I'm telling you, our noises, the noises that come from our spirit are expressive of where our spirit is. If you're grunting and sighing and venting and, and mad and, and it's coming through just your breath, ladies and gentlemen, it, 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 has, it can set the tone for the whole family. Let me tell you what isn't a joyful noise. Ugh even a word it's a noise 
But it says so much about where I am in my spirit. Oh. Roll in your eyes and sign. It's a noise. And it, and, it, and it expresses and explains my feelings about a particular situation. So when I come into the presence of the Lord, I need to make a joyful noise. And, and listen, not just, not just when you come to church, but, but, but when you're just in your car by yourself, when you're just with your family, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I praise your name. And let the, let the sounds be pleasant that come from your spirit. Don't sigh in frustration and vent with anger. But let it be a noise of joy. Let it be a sound of contentment. Let it be a, a hallelujah, a joyful noise unto the Lord. And sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord a new song. You know one of my favorite things to do in devotion is to sing my prayer to the Lord. Doesn't rhyme. Doesn't sound good. The, 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 the stanzas are all off. It wouldn't, it wouldn't pass for, for any kind of a nomination of any, of any sort. But it, it, but, it, but it is so sweet to God. Hallelujah. I might get a Grammy for some of them when I get to heaven. He might just give them to me. Hallelujah. Because he loves them. I'll just start singing my prayer to the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you and I praise your name. You are holy and righteous and mighty is your name. None like unto you, O Lord. There is none like unto you. You are my healer. You are my deliverer. You are my redeemer. You brought me up. You lifted me. You anointed me, Lord. You set me free, Lord. You broke the chains off of my spirit. You broke the shackles off of my mind. And I worship you and only you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you don't want to hear me sing that, then you just need to stay away from my prayer closet because I'm going to sing unto the Lord a new song. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you know what? I'm not going to rely on yesterday's song. Because yesterday's song was for yesterday's blessings. But my blessings have renewed. Hallelujah. My mercy, the mercy of the Lord has renewed for a new day. I'm coming to a close. But I want to reiterate something that I said Sunday morning. I want to share it with you again. Because I, I, I just want to make sure we get it in our spirit. Because praise is the thing that prevents all the works of the flesh from getting a foothold in our life. And we talked about it in the terms of envy. When envy comes to try to get a foothold into your life, the key is to praise the Lord. Keep praising Him. Keep praising Him. Keep praising for His blessings in your life. You've got blessings you haven't thanked God for ever. There are some blessings that God put in your lap. Some blessings that God put in your life. And some of them you still haven't given God thanks for. There are some answered prayers. We prayed and prayed and fretted and worried and concerned ourselves and cried and wept and prayed. And God did it. And we were so relieved that he did it. We never even gave him thanks for it. 
But if you'll praise him and count your blessings, then when somebody next to you gets blessed in a different way than you, you're not going to be consumed with envy about the blessing they received because you're happy they received a blessing. I've got blessings too. Hallelujah. Look at my blessings. Hallelujah. He gave me the blessing of health. He gave me the blessing of provision. He gave me the blessing of peace of mind. He gave me the blessing. You start naming them one by one. And even when I had bad stuff happen, he was there. He was as close as the mention of his name. See, I, envy has kept at bay because, because I, got, I got too much to be thankful for to look at what you have reason to be thankful for and get upset about it. And it does the same thing with, with, with lust. Praise will keep lust at bay. Because as you, see, see, lust is the result of discontentment. When you start becoming discontent with the blessing of God in your life, you start lusting for things of this world. But when you are filled with praise for his blessings, hallelujah, when you open up your mouth and say, Lord, I thank you for your blessings in my life. Lust can't, lust can't even enter. Lust is looking for a way to get in and it can't get in because there's so much praise being lifted up to God. And as you praise, you are filling your spirit with contentment, 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 contentment. And with contentment, with godliness is great gain. Hallelujah. Fear can't get, can't get a hold of you when you're praising God. Because while fear is trying to climb in through a window, you're so busy magnifying the greatness of God. You're, out of your mouth are coming the words, you are my savior, my healer, my strong tower, my refuge, my fortress. You're a fence all around me. I will not be afraid. My foot shall not be moved. You are an encampment about me. The enemy is defeated because you are great. Fear can't penetrate that praise. Hallelujah. So great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Greatly to be praised. Somebody do it right now. Praise him greatly. Praise him greatly. Praise him greatly. Praise him greatly. Hallelujah. Praise him greatly. 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 Hallelujah. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him greatly. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise him greatly. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, that's it. Praise him greatly. Hallelujah. 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 I want everybody who has been touched by God and delivered from depression, I want you to praise God for delivering you from depression. Go ahead and praise him for it right now. Go ahead, go ahead, praise him. If you were down and he lifted you up, you ought to praise him for it. You ought to praise him for it. Come on, that's it. If your brain was being depressed, if your mind was being pushed down and pressed down by the adversary, and the Lord stepped in and put joy in your spirit, and the Lord stepped in and gave you hope for another day, you ought to praise him for it. Woo! Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. 
great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. I want everybody who's ever been healed of a heart condition, go ahead and praise God for it right now. Anybody that's ever been healed of a heart condition, go ahead. That's it. Open up your mouth and praise him in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. I want somebody right now who had prayed to God and asked God for an answer to prayer. And God answered that prayer. And he moved on those circumstances. Don't get so caught up in being relieved that you don't have to worry about it now. Go ahead and give him thanks. Give him praise. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of God. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of Lord. I want everybody who's ever faced a life-threatening illness and God delivered you from it and here you stand tonight healthy in your body. You ought to send up a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord and give Him praise and thanksgiving and gratitude for He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me tell you something about God. Let me tell you something about God. Let me tell you. You know why we praise God? Let me tell you why we praise God. We praise God because He's worthy. He's so great. He's so great in His power. But but, but He's not just great in His power. He's great in His wisdom. He's great in His love. Wherewith He loved us. And, And what He chose to do with His greatness... He's not some egomaniac up on a throne with his feet up on a footstool demanding us, praise me, praise me, everybody praise me. No, he earned our praise. He's worthy of our praise. He took that greatness that he has and he used it for our salvation. He used all that wisdom and all that power and all that mercy and all that love and he poured it on us. Will tell you something, he gave you power as many as received him to them gave you power. After that, the Holy Ghost came upon you, you received power. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. I want somebody in this house who finds him worthy. I want you to lift up a sweet song of praise unto him right now. You find him worthy. Come on, if he's worthy of your consecration, go ahead and praise him. If you find him worthy, hallelujah. He said, prove me now herewith. That's what he said. Prove me now herewith. I want you to know I've tried him and I've found him to be faithful. I've found him to be true. I found him to be righteous. Hallelujah. Is our God. Bless his holy name. Oh, how great, how great is our God. Come on, somebody. Give him praise. See how great, how great is, is our God. God. 